All right, so we're going to go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just give you thanks and praise for this day. Thank you that this is the day that the Lord has made. Each day you give us one, and we ask that we could use it for your glory today. We pray that you would uh, just bless this service. We pray that you would speak your words of truth, of life. Um, I ask for your help. Um, I can't do this without you. So, Heavenly yes. Father, if you don't speak, there's nothing good that's going to happen here. So we're just asking you to speak. We're asking you to um, let your let your word be known. Let your voice be heard. Yes, Lord. Let us see uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as we open your words. Um, we pray that you would um, just anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place with your presence, that you would touch each one of our hearts, um, however, with whatever touch we need from you. We honor you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <coughs> okay, so we're going to be taking a look at the Christmas story. Um, there's just, you know, there's so much to learn in the Christmas story that uh, it's... Uh, you know, why not? Let's learn it, right? Amen. You can learn in a lot of places, but you can also learn in the Christmas story. So we're going to be looking at the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke. Also, we're going to be touching in uh, the end of Malachi, which is just to the left of Matthew. So that should be an easy one to find. Okay. <laughs> find Matthew and then turn left one book. So <clears throat> most of them one page or maybe two pages. Okay. So this is about when God interrupts the status quo. So chronologically, the book of Malachi is the last book that was written in the Old Testament, right? And it was 400 years before the beginning of Matthew started. So during that time, there were no prophets speaking to Israel's situation, right? It was like 400 years of radio silence from God. And so people didn't really have a, have a big knowledge of what God was doing during that time. Um, but we're going to go ahead and read Malachi 3.13 through 18. And so this is, this is God speaking, and he's... Um, He's given he's thrown a little criticism at the people. Um, so it says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. And those who do wickedness, they are even raised up. Those that tempt God, go free. But then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who esteem his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you will again be able to discern between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So in Malachi's day, people were already noticing that God just didn't seem to be leveling the playing field. You know, they, you know as, as humans, we want justice. We want the playing field to be leveled. And so at least we have a chance in life, right? But even in Malachi, they, were, they said, hey, that's not happening. The people that are doing the worst wrongs are the ones that get promoted and built up and established. And those of us that are trying to serve the Lord were oppressed. And they were kind of blaming it on God, right? And so, um, what? And, and, and so they were. It was like the rich and the powerful. They got more powerful, 
And the oppression and the people who serve God, they just got more and more oppressed. And for 400 years, this grew worse and worse. It was, it was survival of the fittest, or really is survival of the ones who cared the least for others is what it really came down to. The wicked got more powerful. The righteous got more oppressed. And so for 400 years, God's people cried out. And they cried out and they cried out. For 400 years, God listened and he listened and he listened. And it took 400 years to set the stage for God to act. And then when the fullness of time came, God acted. He stepped out of eternity and stepped into time and space in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God acted. Colossians 2.9 For in him all or for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So interesting thing that I just learned through this. When God steps into a situation, he disrupts the status quo. And so trouble follows. This is really interesting. So when God steps into a situation, he disrupts the status quo, and trouble happens. So we seem to think, hey, if God would just come into my situation, it would all be fixed. But you know what? A lot of times when God shows up in a situation, that's right when the trouble happens. Why? Because there was this status quo where everybody got along. Everybody learned how to operate in this you know, dysfunctional kind of way. And when God steps in, he starts to straighten it out. And that brings discomfort to these people. It brings discomfort to these people. It brings discomfort along the whole way until, until God can bring everybody into alignment with how he wants things to operate. It's kind of like if you had a broken bone and it healed wrong, then you might have to re-break it in order to get it to heal right. Yep. So it's kind of like that. To get everything fully functional again... Trouble happens. So when God steps into a situation, he's going to straighten it out. He's not going to leave it alone. He's not going to leave it untouched. He's going to fix it. And so it can make life difficult for a season. So we see that in the, in the Christmas story. Mary was troubled. Joseph was troubled. Herod and all Jerusalem was troubled. The shepherds were troubled. We're not going to cover all of that. We're going to cover some of it. We're going to focus mostly on Mary and mostly on Joseph, a little bit on Herod. Because when God steps into the world, he raises up the lowly, like Mary. And he brings down the powerful, the Herods. And he calls for amazing obedience to the Josephs. And there's lessons that we could learn from each of these examples. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at them. We're going to learn the lessons that we can. So in Luke, we're going to start out in Luke 1. And we're going to read verses 26 through 38. <clears throat> Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. So she was troubled. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. She's talking about herself. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So in verse 29, you see how she was troubled? What that means is she was greatly disturbed. She was, or she was greatly, she was troubled greatly or wholly disturbed. So to get the context, uh, the angel greeted Mary with these four happy greetings, right? Rejoice, you're highly favored, the Lord's with you, and you are blessed among women. And to Mary, none of these things seem true. She was a lowly girl from a lowly city. Later, Nathaniel would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the way people looked at Nazareth back then. So she was a nobody, nobody special and nobody important. And no evidences of the Lord being with her. I mean, she wasn't, she, she wasn't wealthy. She wasn't an elite of society. She was just a poor girl, right? And the way the, the, way the Romans treated everybody, there was nothing to rejoice about. Life was hard. It wasn't fun. So she couldn't figure out why the angel was greeting her like that. It didn't make sense to her. And so that's the sad part. She was so accustomed to living through the eyes of this world that she couldn't even see her own worth and her own value to God. So the purity of her heart was like this brightest jewel on earth that all of heaven was, would delight to look down upon. But she couldn't understand it because she'd been oppressed for so long. Even though she was living a life that was pleasing to God, she wasn't honored. And that's true for a lot of Christians. For most Christians, in fact, I think. Now, I know we don't seek to please this world. I know that. We don't seek to please this world. We seek to please God. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you diligently seek God, he will reward you. So Mary was diligently seeking God. And she was living the life to please God. How do we know? Because the angel said so. You know, you're highly esteemed, you're a favored one, blessed among women. She was, she was living God's way, right? So the, so the angel had to kind of like pull back the curtain of heaven to give her a view of what her life was really about and the importance of who she really was, right? She couldn't see it on her own, so the angel had to tell her. And, then, and so he goes through that discussion, he, t- he tells her what's going to happen, right? And... Um, and so in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Right? Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking at to Jesus. So the application here, those around you may not see your value. They may not appreciate your work, your sacrifices, or your tears. But you know, God does. And there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven and they see it all too. And so a lot of the things that we do, are we're kind of like an iceberg, you know, as Christians. We, we live God's way, and a small portion of what we do gets seen by people around us. But you know what? The majority of what we do, like the good things that God puts in our heart to do, to live for him, to pray for others, to those, those things, they're all like the rest of the iceberg underneath the water that people can't see. And so all of heaven, they don't see just the top 10% of you know, the iceberg. They see the whole thing. We're living for, in view of a whole great cloud of witnesses. So lesson number one for Mary, keep living for Jesus. Just live for Jesus. If you haven't started yet, then now's a chance to start. Just throw yourself into it because you know what? If there's a heaven and if there's a reward for following God, then you can't go wrong by following Jesus. I'm not talking about going religious. I'm not talking about that. That's off kilter too. I'm talking about living for Jesus, about loving him and following him and, and 
just loving. So the world will say, oh, don't overdo it. Okay, that's the world's excuse for just not following him at all. No, do overdo it. Follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Because we're, why? Because we're missionaries here. Everyone here is a missionary to this world. God's, we belong to God's family, and he left us here to be missionaries to the rest of the world. So our reward isn't here. Our reward's in heaven. And then, and then the neat thing is, as you continue to live this way for the Lord, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a time when God steps into your situation to honor you, just like he honored Mary. It may not be in front of crowds, but it'll be in front of a cloud of witnesses. Amen. And he'll pull back the curtain of heaven, and he'll show you his assessment of your life. And he'll speak to your heart the words like he spoke to Mary. Not to duplicate the Messiah's birth, no, 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 but to show you how important you are. To show you that he loves you, that you're valued. And when he does, then you're not going to feel like a poor, lowly wretch anymore, like a nobody. You're going to feel like a somebody. You're going to feel valued, unhonored. You're going to feel respected, just like Mary did. And you're going to sing just like Mary did here in verses 46 through 53. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. God's going to speak those words to your heart one day. I hope he does today. I hope he already has. And then you're going to rejoice, and then you're going to know that you're valued to God. That's lesson number one. Live for Jesus. Lesson number two, say yes to God. So then in verse 38, Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, right? So after Mary understood the process, she said, Yeah, okay, like Randy said earlier, I'm willing to go through with whatever you want. Whatever you want, I trust you. Did she know it was going to be hard? I'm sure she knew it was going to be hard. But she said yes anyway. So there's this, there's this Billy Graham movie that my family likes to watch, and there's a part in it where um, Billy Graham proposes to, his, to Ruth, his wife-to-be, by letter. And so she writes the letter back, and the letter comes back, and Billy Graham opens it while he's in you know, seminary. And um, she said yes. And so he runs all around the dorms, you know, showing everybody this letter. She said yes. She said yes. She said yes. I think that heaven rejoiced in the same kind of way when Mary said yes. She could have said no. God doesn't force people to do his will. He, he invites us to do his will. I just think that was probably the, the thing that happened in heaven. She said yes. So whatever God's, God asks of you, respond with yes. You won't be disappointed because God's got good plans for you. He's got better plans than you could even... If you detailed it out yourself, you couldn't even beat it. Say yes. Trouble for Joseph. So we're going to look at Matthew now. Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> so with Mary, lesson number one, live for Jesus. Lesson number two, say yes to God's plan. For Joseph, we're going to learn a couple more lessons through his life. <clears throat> so I'll go ahead and start up by reading this to you. So Matthew 1, 18 through 25. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make, a, make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, so he's like pondering these things, right? Deep in thought. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So we read this in, in an environment that's like 2,000 years, fast forward, you know, sterilized of all emotion and stuff like that. Right? So hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, we, so we read it like, oh, Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit and Joseph and Mary go off to, you know, Bethlehem. Isn't that peaches and cream? Isn't that just so nice? Right? And it's like we miss the point. We miss the pain that's in the story. We miss the confusion of what was going on. We miss the decisions that people didn't know what decision that they should make. So we read it sterilized of all emotion and, and twenty twenty hindsight. But you know what? Joseph didn't live it that way. It was a lot harder from him. Yep. For Joseph, this time was full of emotion. He didn't know what happened, right? What happened? What's going to happen? What does the law require me to do? What can I do? What should I do, right? Joseph was troubled. So the application here, for us, life isn't sterilized from emotion either. We don't have 20-20 hindsight. We don't know why we're in our current situation Nobody skates through life because Satan throws traps at us, right? And God sends trials to us, right, for two different purposes, but we still have to go through them. But how Joseph handled this situation, he really deserves to be applauded. So we're going to grab some lessons from here. <clears throat> so Joseph was troubled. His fiance's pregnant, right? He's got 100 questions. How did this happen? Doesn't she love me? And by the way, who's the guy, Right? What's going to happen? What do I need to do? He must have felt disappointed. He must have felt betrayed. I mean, she was unfaithful in like the worst kind of way before before they even had their honeymoon, right? Most most men probably would have been livid and wanted revenge. Give me the rock. Let's let's start that right now, right? <clears throat> so lesson number one: don't react. Keep a cool head. Step back and ponder, because that's what that's what Joseph did. But while he thought about these things. So most people are in the react first and think about it later, you know, type type people. But, you know, often our first reactions are like just not, you know, not in line with really, you know, a good path. And so it's like something may happen. Somebody doesn't, you know, show up for your party or send and, and you know, loved one doesn't call. And you, you know, and your mind just immediately goes to what the worst thing possible is that, that could be happening. And then you kind of plan a response based on that. And then you only find out later that, oh, it was because their phone died, so they couldn't call. Or, you know, something simple like that. And there was no need to get all spun up about it, right? Those things happen all the time. You've probably got stories of that. I've got stories like that because life happens. Yep. And our initial impulse isn't just to react, but it's to overreact. 
because that's what emotion does to us. It's like emotion like shifts us from you know being you know cognitive thinkers to all of a sudden being emotionally driven and woe betide the person who tries to bring you back down to you know just just thinking rationally. And I've been there. We've all been there. But there's a better way. So let's take a lesson from Joseph. While he thought about these things, so he was probably initially overcome with emotion. Probably anyone would be, right? Disappointed, betrayed, hurt, felt angry. But he got past that initial stage until he was able to actually meditate on these things, right? To think on these things. And it was during that time, after he heard the news, but before he responded, that God spoke to him. So lesson number one, don't react. Just wait. You know, you'll respond, yeah, respond in time. Reacting is, you know, an immediate thing. Response is you know, thought out and planned. So don't react. Step back and ponder. Number two, get your heart right. And so this comes from verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So get your heart right. So that says so much about Joseph. So as far as he was concerned, he was severely wronged, right? He was severely wounded, betrayed, humiliated. He had the right to call for blood, he had the right to, you know, have Mary stoned to death. Not to mention the guilty man, right? But he didn't. He could have taken revenge, but he didn't. Instead, he strategized and came up with the best possible outcome for Mary. Isn't that amazing? Even after, even though he, you know, he was like betrayed as far as he knew, he was completely betrayed. He came up with the best possible outcome for Mary. The one that wouldn't give her condemnation or judgment or harm. The outcome where she could retain her honor and reputation as much as possible. You ever wonder what real love is? That's what real love is. There's a lot of counterfeits being passed around, but but the counterfeits aren't real love. This is real love. It never seeks to harm somebody, their reputation or their person. Or, or to pass judgment on him, right? To call him condemned, nothing like that. Even at a cost to self, it, it comes up with the best possible outcome for the party that hurt them. That's what real love is. So if you're going through a situation and you wish harm on somebody else, whether it's be harm to life or reputation or anything, that's where we need to get our heart right. That's where God needs to adjust our heart. And sometimes that hurts but it's kind of like a chiropractor. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor, but while they're you know scratching your back, sometimes you know it's a little uncomfortable. But you know when when they're done, then it feels refreshing. Okay, I'll put it that way. So take a lesson from Joseph. Let's take a lesson from Joseph here. Joseph here. Ask God to adjust your heart so that you could treat the other person just like Joseph planned to treat Mary. Joseph now Joseph ended up treating Mary a lot better than even that. But that was how he planned to do it before you know he before the Lord spoke into the situation to have the greatest care for her. So how do you know when you're there? When you stop asking God to get them back and you start asking God to show them mercy. Amen. So start asking God to show mercy on them. Because you know what you're going to find when you start asking God that? You're going to find that God does show mercy on them and you're the one that he shows mercy through. He's going to make you an instrument of mercy for that person. So choose love. Get your heart right. Even if they've offended you, make a plan to treat them with the utmost of love and compassion. So get your heart right. Number three, get God's perspective by giving him space to speak. 
So this is from verse 20. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. <clears throat> so even though Joseph planned to handle this with just the utmost of care and concern and compassion for Mary, he still slept on it. So you've heard that thing. Before you make any major decision, sleep on it, and then come back tomorrow and see if you still you know, are of the same mind. It's really good advice, really, really good advice, but it's also really, really hard to do. <laughs> You know how difficult it is when something's rolling over in your mind and it's really important to you or it's stressing you out and so you can't seem to get rid of it and it just keeps you up for hours because it keeps cycling over and over in your mind. What can I do about it? What should I do about it? All those, all those thoughts. Joseph slept on it. This is probably one of the biggest trials of Joseph's life and he found a way to sleep on it. Before he reacted, before he even responded, he slept on it. Why? Because after he came to the conclusion, the best possible solution, after he came to that, he still wanted God to have space to speak. Now, Joseph probably didn't have scrolls of the Old Testament in his, in, his, in his room, in his house. He might not have been able to read, so it's not like he could just go to the Bible and, you know, listen for God. He probably went to prayer, and maybe this didn't happen on a Saturday when synagogue was happening, so he had no access really to hear scriptures. But you know what? Through his life, he would kind of... He'd kind of um, learn how to hear God, and God would speak to him through dreams. Uh, we see that several times about Joseph in the New Testament. God would, you know, give him a dream, and he would pick up and go to Egypt, and God would give him another, another dream, and he'd pick up and come back. And, God, you know, God spoke to Joseph, and so Joseph recognized that. And so he slept on it so he could give God a space to speak about the situation. You can't force God to speak, but you can give him space to speak. So how do we do this today? A couple, couple things. Pray, read, and listen. So pray. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Not cast a little bit, not cast some, cast all of it. Like anything that's on your mind needs to go to the Lord. Just cast it upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's why. Nothing's too big that he can't handle. Nothing's too small that he doesn't care. He cares about all of it. If it's a care for you, cast it on him. And uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. When you pray, then God guards your heart and he guards your mind, like he guards your mind, so you don't have to keep going through, through those things over and over again. The peace of God will replace the concern that you had. So pray, read, read the Bible, right? Listen for God's voice through the Bible, right? So there have been so many times when I've been going through a situation that I've read the scriptures and something jumped out at me. The situation didn't change, the facts didn't change, the unknowns didn't change, but my perspective changed. And that helped me to be able to handle the situation in a better fashion with kindness for other people or to be more graceful and honoring to others. So listen for God's, and so, so read the Bible and listen for God's voice through the Bible. Then also listen to God's voice through other inputs. So learning to hear God's voice is a little bit like learning how to ride a bike. You know, other people can give you inputs. They can tell you, okay, you know, keep your, keep your weight balanced, you know, and try not to push too hard on one pedal or, you know, they can give inputs, but they can't do it for you. So it's, so it's, so it's a little bit like that. On, it's a little bit like learning how to ride the bike. And it can be scary because what if I misheard? What if I didn't hear something right? I can fall. And yeah, falling is part of learning how to ride a bike. And it's also part of learning how to hear from God. But you know what? When you actually do hear from God and when you actually do you know, get up on both pedals and take a cruise around the block, it's pretty exciting. And it's really exciting when you hear from God too. 
Another input is, um, so how did, another way, dreams, we talked about that. God's, you know, warned me of things in dreams, and I've listened and made course corrections. God still does that today. Not every dream is from God, but some are. Other inputs from Christians is another one. Um, listen for other inputs from Christians. And so that's, so we're supposed to get together. It's really, it's just neat to see, you know, the scriptures like Ephesians 4.16 as each individual part does its work, the body grows and builds itself up in love. And Romans 14, 19, therefore, let's keep on pursuing those things that bring peace and that lead to building up one another. There's just a lot of building up that the New Testament says is supposed to happen in church, you know, when we, when we gather together. So you got to get together, right? You got to gather together with everybody. And so people can speak words of life for you. You can speak words of life for them. So there'd be a mutual building up, Right. That's why God wants us in church, so we could refocus, reorient, retool, and recharge. Refocus on what's important, reorient our priorities to match, right? Retool to get built up in the faith, right? We're, we're, I don't know, we go through difficulties all week long, you know, being countercultural, you know, going upstream through culture. And then to, and so to retool, to find out how to live life better, and then to recharge so we can go back out into the, you know, into the world and keep being a, a missionary. So, there's a lot of reason to come to church and to listen to other inputs from other people. So that's all about learning how to ride a bike, learning how to hear from God. So because you're coordinating new muscles that you didn't have to, you know, that you haven't learned how to use yet, and that's fine. Learn, that's learning how to hear with your spiritual ears. And it takes practice to fine tune that. So, so it's okay if you fall a little bit. No big deal. That's why we're here to help each other. <clears throat> so then. Lesson number four, or lesson number three is get God's mind right. Lesson or give God room to speak. Lesson number four, after God's given you His guidance, right, then obey it. So that's what Joseph did, right? Being aroused from sleep, it says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So the command came through a dream, which is interesting. He took that as a command, and so he went out and did it. <clears throat> so God puts light on our path for us to follow, but He doesn't put light on the side. He puts it on our path. So if we decide to veer off the path, we're going into a place without light. So we need to stay on the path so we can have light, right? Okay. So if Joseph had not obeyed God's command, what would have happened? God would have found some sort of solution, right? Mary would have found somebody else to, 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 to rescue her, right? God wasn't going to let the Messiah, you know, die in the womb. Somebody else would have come, like with Esther, right? Somebody else would have come along and, you know, and, and rescued Mary and rescued the Messiah. Joseph would have missed out on the biggest opportunity of his life, though, to be a part of that family. And so the same thing's true for us. You know, our active and willing participation uh, gets us on the right path with God, right? We can, we can not be willing, and we can, you know, go off this way, and we can miss the best parts of life that God has planned for us, or, or we can just be willing and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. You show me, you show, you put light on my path, and I'll walk on that path. So to make the best pizza, you need the best ingredients. So even a correction for so, so the point is God given us input or the best ingredients to life. Of course, corrections. Even even you know when He speaks something that's that hurts a little bit because it tells me how I've been off. Even when that happens, that's still a huge blessing because you know what that didn't happen for four hundred years. For God to speak to you to give you a course correction means He loves you and He wants the best thing for you because He's for you. He's not against you. I spent about 20 years thinking that God was against me, that he was, you know, just angry and mean. And he was the God of no. If it's fun, don't do it. If you want to do it, it's wrong. No, no, no. 
and it took me, you know, some good church teaching to learn that God's for me. He's not against me. God's for you. He's not against you. So once you have God's input, obey it. It may be difficult, right? Um, God may ask you to do something difficult but very important, like with Joseph. Or God may ask you to trade in something that's important to you for something that's important to him. So he asked me to trade in something important to me, the Coast Guard, to do something that was important to him, Bible school. And sometimes it's a difficult trade, but you know what? It's always going to be worth it. So um, so go ahead and make the trade if God asks you to do that. Trouble for the shepherds. Um, we'll, get to, we'll get to that another time. Then the last thing we're just going to touch on is trouble for Herod. So this is in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. <clears throat> and I'll go ahead and just read through that. Briefly, briefly. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. There is that trouble again. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So Herod was also troubled when God entered the situation because now he was at risk of losing his power and control, right? Whatever resources, power, control somebody can gather together, can amass, can accumulate for themselves, they'll leverage it for their own good and they'll keep it basically to the death. At that point, it's survival of the fittest. And, you know, nobody willingly gives up power or control. It's got to be wrenched from their fist by God or by death or something like that. And so Herod, survival of the fittest, and guess what? Herod was the most fit. And he was troubled that he was constantly one step behind God, (laughs) behind those that were, you know, living God's way, behind those that were accomplishing God's plan. So he was troubled that the wise men showed up and knew more about the Jewish scriptures than the Jews did. That troubled him. He was also troubled that he was outsmarted by the wise men at the end, right? That they went back another way, and that troubled him. And so to retain his power, Herod went so far as to, as to you know, calculate what the age would be of the children in Bethlehem, who the Messiah would be part of, and to go just slaughter them all, because that's what power does. It, it corrupts people to where they'll do anything it takes to retain power. So, but true power isn't, it isn't dependent on the oppressed, you know what I mean? Power maintains power, and the oppressed can never, never attain to it unless God steps in and lifts them up. That's why I just, I just, I, I just really like some of those song lyrics that, that, that we have because it just shows that God comes in and lifts up the humble, you know. 
Anyway, so Herod had trouble because of this reordering, because of this resequencing, you know. Because when God shows up, everything gets troubled because everybody got used to living in this disjointed fashion. And so when God comes in to straighten it out, he lifts up the broken and he pushes down the proud. And Herod had trouble because he was getting pushed down and he hated that. The powerful always resist being stripped of their power. Think of Moses and Pharaoh, King Herod. And so through the Christmas story, God stepped into the human story, and trouble followed. Trouble followed for Mary, trouble followed for Joseph, trouble followed for Herod, trouble also followed for the shepherds. That doesn't mean, so if trouble is happening for you, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means he stepped into the situation and he's starting to correct some things. It means he's listened and listened and listened, and now he's starting to answer. He's tired of the status quo also. When God gets tired of the status quo, then he'll step in and answer to realign the broken bones. When he steps into a situation, he disrupts the status quo and trouble follows. So don't think that God's given up. He hasn't given up and you aren't off his radar. He's working. He's actively working to make your situation how he wants it. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We just thank you for uh, your, your, your story. When you stepped in to, to time and space, when you got tired of the status quo, when you'd had enough of survival of the fittest, in the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sin. Heavenly Father, help us to be people that follow Jesus with all our hearts, that love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And whatever changes, whatever adjustments you need to make in our lives, in our hearts, we're just asking that you do that. Give us a perspective of heaven not the perspective of, you know, from here down on earth. Show us what it is that you applaud and help us to be diligent about those things. Show us what it is that you value. And help us to make those our values. And if there's anybody here that needs to turn to Jesus, then just pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, Please forgive me. I've done so much wrong. I need you. I need forgiveness. And I don't deserve it. But I ask that you'd give me mercy, that you'd forgive me. Yes. Help me to believe. Help me to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name. And if you pray that, then God's going to start something new and fresh and powerful in your life. And it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to hear about it. And we're going to do communion now. Okay.